0: Your Bibles. Let's start today by looking at what I think is one of the most unusual and sobering stories in all of the Bible. We're going to get to James in a minute, but we're going to start with a story first and the rest, rest elsewhere in the Bible. In Acts chapter 4, we're going to look at the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Not normally a story you like to preach out of. Let's start by reading. We're going to actually start back a little bit further. Um, In verse 32 of chapter 4, and we're going to read into the beginning of chapter 5, put this in context and see what's going on in this story, because it's going to really help us understand what James is writing about. So Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 32, it says this, And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them, for all of those who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales, and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would distribute each to each as they had need. Now Joseph, a Levite of Cyperian birth, who was also called Barnabas, by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement, and who owned a tract of land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property, and kept back some of the price for himself, with his wife's full knowledge, and bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit, and to keep back some of the price of the land. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after you sold it, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came over all who heard of it. The young men got up and covered him up and carried him out, and they buried him. Now there elapsed an interval of about three hours, and his wife came in, not knowing what had happened, and Peter responded to her, tell me whether you sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, yes, that was the price. Then Peter said to her, why is it that you have agreed together to put the spirit of the Lord to the test? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out as well. And immediately she fell at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came over the whole church and over all who heard of these things. Now, I've heard people say stuff like this, man, I wish I was in the early church. (laughs) You want to be in that church on that day? Tell a lie and die. Okay, Um, let's talk about what's going on here. Let's think about the reason I backed up a little bit. Let's put it in context what was happening in the church. The church was brand new. It had just started. Jesus had died on the cross, been buried, rose from the dead, and now these apostles were going everywhere telling people this good news. That God himself came as man into our world, died for our sins, and rose from the dead to set us free from the curse of death and sin. That now we can say no to sin, and we can live eternally with God. That's what the death and resurrection of Jesus was. That was the message they went around preaching. And those that said that were changed by that message, that had houses and lands, said they were selling what they had and giving it to those in need to perpetuate this brand new church. Verse 34 says that among them, there was not one needy person among them, because some were selling who had and some who didn't have were given to. Now in this culture of generosity, Barnabas sold a piece of land that he owned and gave the money to the apostles so they could distribute the money to the people who were in need. And at that time, he did this, maybe maybe it was somewhat publicly that people saw it happen. And at this time, another couple sees what happens, because maybe what happened is people went, oh my goodness, wasn't that nice what Barnabas did? Something like that must have happened. So this other couple sees what happens, and selling their property and giving it away, and they decide, let's do the same thing, but with a twist. They sell the property for a price, and then they give part of the money to the apostles, and they keep part of the money for themselves. And Peter, who is made aware of this deception by the Holy Spirit, questions them and, and, and says, you know, why are you lying um, to the Holy Spirit? And they both fall over dead because they lied. Now, let's think about something for a minute. What is the heart of the story of Ananias and Sapphira? I think a lot of people misunderstood what it's about. Is this a, a lesson Jesus or the New Testament church was teaching about generosity? Is this a message to teach that if you have a house or land, you need to sell it and give it to the poor? No. That's not what it's talking about. Um, In this culture of generosity, surely generosity is part of what's being talked about here. Being generous. That's obviously part of what's being talked about here. Is this a teaching about our need to sell everything and give it away? No. The heart of the story is about lying. That's what it's about. Peter said to to Ananias and Sapphira that the land was theirs and said that after they sold it, the money was theirs. He's saying, the land is yours, do what you want with it. The money is yours, do what you want with it. The issue isn't about money here. It's about the fact that they lied about the money, that they wanted to look good and say, hey, we gave it all, and by giving giving their money away, but they really didn't give it all away. They said they gave it all away, but they didn't. They gave part of it away and kept back some for themselves. And they didn't have to do it. The problem was that they lied and said that they gave it all. The thing that the Holy Spirit is putting his finger on here is the incompatibility of lying and the Christian life. He's saying this is not compatible with being a child of God. And this is probably the most intense example of how followers of Jesus are not to lie, that when we speak, We should speak truth that obviously God thinks this is a very big deal. And if you don't think it's a big deal, wait till you get to heaven and ask Ananias and Sapphira if it's a big deal. They would tell you it's a big deal. And the reason I started with this story today is because it does a really good job of illustrating what James is teaching about in the the one verse that we're going to look at today. See, if you're visiting with us today at Portview, um, we have been going section by section through the book of James on Sundays, and we're almost done with it now. We've been doing it for a while. We're almost done. And today we're going to look at just one verse. So flip in your Bibles back to the book of James, and we're going to look at one verse together. James chapter 5, verse 12. Now, in your Bible, notice something. You notice how in not all your Bibles, some of your Bibles, you have some of the numbers for the chapters that are darker than the rest. So like mine, this is chapter 12, and it's dark and bold. And you see that chapter 11 is not dark, and verse 11 is not dark and bold, but then verse 13 is dark and bold. Do you, understand, you see that difference? Some of your Bibles, a lot of them. So it has a distinction. It's showing you paragraphs, basically, where new thoughts start and new thoughts end. So chapter 12, or verse 12, is is bolded, and verse 13 is bolded, and it's saying that verse 12 stands on its own. It's its own thought. Okay, where if you look ahead, verse 7 is bolded, and then it goes all the way to verse 11. So that's one thought. So everything in verse 7 and verse 11 are all tied together. Verse 12 stands on its own. And then verse 13 um, is going to go all the way to the, to the end of the chapter, verse 17. So it's very important to understand those things, because you've got to say, is this tied to something else? It's all tied to the context of the book, but is it tied to the verses before or after? This is a standalone statement that James is saying. So let's look what it says here. Chapter 4, or chapter 5, verse 12. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth, or with any other oath, But your yes is to be yes, and your no is to be no, so that you may not fall under judgment. Now let me be honest with you for a moment here, as we get into this. I was going to skip over this verse. When I was preaching through, you know, going through the book of James. I was going to skip skip over verse 13. It's one verse standing on its own. Because if you've been here for any length of time, you may recall that James has dealt with this general topic of the words that we speak, over and over and over in the book of James. And I'm like, what else can I possibly say about it? I was going to skip it. I thought about just skipping. I thought none of you would even know it if I skipped it. There's sometimes we go through things and it's the exact same thing as something. Else. I just go on to the next section. But you know why I couldn't skip it? The first three words of verse 12. But above all. But above all all now what's been going on in these preceding things james is just telling talking a little segments about all different very important topics he was teaching we looked at a couple weeks ago how to live by god's will and not your own will he just taught about how to handle the burden of abundance talk about what it's like to be to have more than you need and how to that's a burden we said it's a responsibility how to handle how to live in light of jesus's return we looked at just two weeks ago how do we live in the light of the fact that jesus is coming back and last week, or week before, we looked at how do we suffer well. Said so how, we, how do we go through suffering and do it well? How do we learn? We learn from the prophets. We learn from Job, um, James talked about. Then he just tosses in this one statement about how we talk, about honesty of speech. And he's talked about it before. And he says, and this is above all of that. He's saying this is above how you live in a burden of abundance, how you live in light of Christ's return, how you learn to suffer well. He says, above all those things, you know what? Let your yes be yes and your no be no. So I had to come back to this topic again. But above all my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but your yes is to be yes and your no is to be no so that you may not fall under judgment. So what's he talking about here? Because he's not just talking about telling a lie. He's kind of coming at it from the opposite angle. He's talking about oath-making. Taking an oath. Swearing by something. For example, in our context of today, you may find yourself saying something like this to emphasize that you're not lying. Oh, I swear to God. You're saying, I'm really serious about this. You say this maybe. As God is my witness. We've all said things like that. As God is my witness. That kind of speech um, was very common practice in James's day. In fact, the Jews had made an art form out of swearing oaths, oh, I swear to God, or making an oath, swearing oaths in such a way that it appeared that they were telling the truth, but they had no intention on doing what they said they were doing. I swear by this. And then the oath wasn't binding because it wasn't exactly according to some formula that they concocted and said, so I'm not really bound to follow that. They're saying, I'm trying to tell you, I'm really telling the truth, but they were really lying. It was common practice in their day. Matter of fact, um, Jesus himself was confronting this one day when he rebuked the scribes and the Pharisees. It's recorded in, in Matthew chapter 23, verses 16 to 22, Jesus having an interaction with some Pharisees. And listen to what he says in, chapter, in Matthew chapter 23, starting in verse 16. He says, You blind guides, what sorrows await you? For you say that it means nothing to swear, quote, by the God's temple, but that is binding to swear by the gold in the temple. Blind fools, which is more important, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? And you say that to swear by the altar is not binding, but to swear by the gifts on the altar is binding. How blind? For which is more important, the gift on the altar or the altar that makes it sacred? When you swear by the altar, you are not swearing by it. Are you not swearing by it and everything on it? And when you swear by the temple, are you swearing by it and by God who lives in it? And when you swear by heaven, you are swearing by the throne of God and by God who sits on the throne. So in Jesus' day and in James' day, They had concocted these rules that allowed them to basically lie while appearing that they're telling the truth. Well, I'm going to do this, and you know what? I swear by the temple. I swear by the altar in the temple. Oh, he must really be telling the truth. Oh, sorry. Fingers crossed. That's the way we say it today. Fingers crossed. I didn't swear by the gold on the altar in the temple. Therefore, it's not really binding. I don't have to do what I said I was going to do. And they lived, they had this whole concocted system that they lived by that. What's going on in James is James and his brand new creation called the church with brand new people called Christians saying that we're going to now act like this person that we just walked with for three years named Jesus who was God himself came down to earth and revealed what the perfect human is. That James says, you know what? And this, who, who is that? It was his half brother, Jesus. James' half brother. James wanted the practice discontinued among those who followed Jesus. He wanted their yes to mean yes, and their no to be no. No swearing by heaven or earth, not saying, well, what you're really saying, if you have to swear, you're saying, generally you can't trust what I say, but now I'm really serious. I'm now I'm really telling you the truth. That's really what swearing does. It says, you can't trust anything else I say, but now I'm telling you, I swear to God, I'm really telling you the truth. What it means is don't believe anything else I say, and if you've got to swear, why should I believe what you're saying now? James just says, you know what, this should stop. No more as God is my witness kind of talk. Now someone, you could be sitting in here today, you can say, you know pastor, sometimes you make a mountain out of a molehill. This is really no big deal. It's really no big deal if I swear by something. it's just the way I talk, it's no, it's no big deal. Well I would tell you this, Jesus and James would disagree with you, and I'd disagree with you. Because James says, above all, above all, don't be swearing like this. Let your yes be yes and your nobody knew. No. Speaking truth and being trusted in what you say is important as Christians. You say, why is it a big deal? I think there's two primary reasons why it's a big deal that the way we truth, that we don't have to validate what we say by saying, oh, I'm really telling the truth. I swear to God. The two main reasons why this is a big deal is this number one, lying or having a life like that where we, we have to validate what we say because we're not being trustworthy. So lying defeats God's design for his church. That's the first thing. It defeats God's design for his church. And the other big reason is this. Lying destroys your ability to bring others to Jesus. I want to talk about those. Think of this. Lying, it's such a big deal. Why James say it's a big deal. Above all these things, the reason he would say it. Because lying defeats God's design for the church. Think with me for a minute. In a big picture way, what is God's design for his church? The church isn't supposed to be a place we get together, sit in nice chairs, watch videos that somebody made about upcoming events. The pastor stands here and talks about the Bible and we sing songs. That's really not the church. Those are things that that we do as a church. But that's not really what the church um, is, is, is supposed to be. What's the church? The church is to be a gathering of people who have responded to God's gift of salvation in Christ. And now as new creations, we have the Spirit of God within us, and the Spirit is helping us to become more like Jesus from the inside out. And now as a gathering of people like that, those who Christ-like people, we now interact with one another with the love of Christ, and the kindness of Christ, and the generosity of Christ, and the honesty of Christ, so that our lives will be this wonderful experience, a little bit of heaven on earth, and scripture says the world will see us and go, my goodness, because of their amazing love, which is not like anywhere else in the world, their God must be real. That's really a definition of what the church is all about. Understand this. Lying, misrepresenting what you say, defeats this design. The design... Of loving unity, as we described the church, loving unity, can only be built on truth. If we lie to one another, we misrepresent what we say to one another, there's no trust. If there's no trust, there's no love. If there's no love, there's no unity. It all starts back with, can I be true? was what I'm saying, true. That's what the story of Ananias is all about. In that brand new creation called the church. The church had never existed before. It was brand new. It wasn't Judaism. It was brand new. People from every different ethnic group and and, and gender group. Women could be part of it. Never before. Women could be equal parts. This brand new thing called the church. They're gathering together. And all of a sudden in the brand new church where there's a culture of generosity the ways of the world around them were already creeping in, and a nice and spurious scheme to look good, maybe you know, politically motivated in the sense we want to rise to leadership in the church or whatever. We don't know, but the ways of the world begin to creep in in this brand new, newly formed thing that's never been before called the church. So God, in the most dramatic way I've ever seen in Scripture, says, "Stop it." He says Christians are to be different. We are indwelt by the spirit of Jesus. And we are to act like Jesus. And he looks at it and he says, lying and half-truths and spin and misrepresentations have no place in the family of God. Because lying defeats God's design for his church. If we can't trust what one another is saying. It's that big of a deal. Let's look at something together. When you came in this morning, you were given a bulletin. There's something a little different on your bulletin. Take your bulletin out. If you don't have one, look in the person's next use, Or turn in your Bible to Psalm 15. And I did it on, in writing this time because a lot of you don't carry a, a printed Bible anymore. And that's all right. But I want to have you do something and exercise. and be harder to do on your tablet or your phone. And I just think, until I die, I'm going to carry my Bible, okay? I may be a dinosaur. But until I die, because I write stuff in here that I still find 20 years later. No, the thing is, I wear my Bibles out. And so, but I keep them all. On my shelves. So, on the back of yours, what's on the back ear, your, on your back ear, um, bulletin this week? What's, what, what, verse? What? Psalm 15. Here's what I want us to do with Psalm 15. In front of you are pens. Take Psalm 15, whether on your Bible or on this verse. And if you don't have the bulletin, do it with the person next to you. And this is what I want you to do with your pen. Underline everything that has to do with our speech. Then I'm going to read through and I'm going to talk about. So underline right now, just for yourselves, sit there, underline everything that has to do in Psalm 15, it's only five verses, with speech. It's related to how we speak. I'll give you a minute to do it. How many many different things do you underline in Psalm 15? How many distinct things tied to speech? Somebody say it loud. Somebody's got six, five. I heard five. I come up with five. So it could be six. I'm I'm going to read it out loud and I'll tell you. So you can say, stop me. So here's, so verse one. Who may worship in your sanctuary, Lord? Or maybe you could say that's talking about worship. Okay, I didn't think of that. So verse to me, verse one is just the introduction. Who may worship in your sanctuary, Lord? Who may enter your presence on your holy hill? He's asking a question. God, who's, who do you, who do you really want in your presence? Now, God wants everybody in your presence, but he's saying, what kind of people do you want us to be like of people of your presence? Verse two, those who lead blameless lives and do what is right. Now, let me stop for a second. This is a total sidebar, and I could preach a whole sermon on it. Don't believe the nonsense of our church world that's going on today that says how you live doesn't matter. It matters. You're to live like Jesus. It matters. So this idea to become like the world, to reach the world doesn't work. You want it? love the people. Their, the early church was so rare, people were afraid of it. Because people were propped up and were dead for lying. There was something different about it. Let's be so different. You know how we're so different? We love people. We accept them and we live holy lives. So verse 2. Those who lead blameless lives and do what is right, speaking the truth from sincere hearts. So, that's the first one I see. Speaking the truth from sincere hearts. Verse 3. Those who refuse to gossip or harm their neighbors, next thing, or number three, or speak evil of their friends, refuse to do it. Verse four, those who despise flagrant sinners and honor the faithful followers of the Lord, and here's number five, or number four, and keep their promises, look at this, even when it hurts. You want to teach your kids an important lesson in life? You make a promise, you keep your promise, even when it's hard. Oh, we said we're going to do that on Saturday, but oh, this looks like more fun. You made a promise, keep your promise. David says it's that it's important. It's, 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 it's one of the things that defines you as somebody who's a, that, that God says, hey man, you're doing it. I see Jesus in you. Jesus made a promise, I'll die for you, and he did. Verse 5, those who lend money without charging interest and who cannot be bribed to lie, number 5, You can't be, you won't lie, even if somebody bribes you about the innocent, such people will stand firm. David's saying something to us. It's a big deal. How we talk to one another either defeats God's design for his church or it prospers God's design for his church. Do you understand that? How we talk to one another either defeats God's design for his church, says, I can't, you know what, love and unity can't thrive because I can't even, people don't trust what's saying to each other, or it prospers his design because we're truthful with one another, love and unity thrive and flourish, and we become the church we're supposed to become. James is saying, it's that big of a deal, that what you say is a big deal. Um, David, Psalmist says, it's a big deal. Five times in five short verses. He says, when he could take anything of what he says, this is the, this is the way to, to really see how you live. Five times he talks about how we talk. How we talk's a big deal. So, does this make sense? Why speaking honestly with each other is important? That makes sense? Why it makes sense inside the church? Yeah? Now, let's think about something. What about those outside the church? This is all talking about how we treat each other inside the church, but what about outside the church? Friends, it's just as big of a deal because lying destroys your ability to bring others to Jesus. It destroys the design for God in the church, but it destroys your and my ability to lead other people to Jesus. Let me, let me, let me explain it this way by, by using an illustration. You ever hear of Aesop's fables? They still teach Aesop's fables in school? I'm not sure. But there's one of Aesop's fables, it's called The Boy. It's been all different names throughout history, but we think of it as The Boy Who Cried Wolf. Familiar with that? Let me read to you, in case you're not, the little short Aesop's fable on The Boy, called The Boy Who Cried Wolf. It says this There once was a shepherd boy who was bored with his, bored as he sat on the hillside watching the village's sheep. To amuse himself, he took a great breath and sang out, Wolf! Wolf! And the wolf, is, the wolf is chasing the sheep. The villagers came running up the hill to help the boy drive the wolf away. But when they arrived at the top of the hill, they found the wolf. And the boy laughed at the sight of their angry faces. Don't cry wolf, shepherd boy, the villager said, when there is no wolf. Then they grumbled back down the hill. Later, The boy sang out again, wolf, wolf, the wolf is chasing the sheep. And to his naughty delight, he watched the villagers run up the hill to help him drive the wolf away. When the villagers saw no wolf, they sternly said, save your frightened song for when there really is something wrong. Don't cry wolf when there is no wolf. But the boy just grinned and watched them go grumbling down the hill once more. Later, he saw a real wolf prowling about the flock. Alarmed, he leaped to his feet and sang out as loud as he could, wolf, wolf. But the villagers thought he was trying to fool them again, and they didn't come. At sunset, everybody wondered why the shepherd boy hadn't returned to the village with their sheep. And they went up the hill to find the boy, and they found him weeping. There really was a wolf here. The wolf has scattered. I cried out, wolf, why didn't you come? And an old man tried to comfort the boy as they walked back to the village. We'll help you look for the lost sheep in the morning, he said, putting his arm around the youth. Nobody believes a liar even when he's telling the truth. Nobody believes a liar even when he's telling the truth. What's the moral of the story? If you consistently lie or misrepresent the truth, no one will believe when you are telling the truth. Let's translate this into our everyday lives. Let's say I'm known at work for being a good and really good at putting spin on things, on issues. I can twist things in a way that makes me and maybe the people around me look good, maybe my company look good and able to come out on top. Or maybe I'm a salesperson that is good at stretching the truth to get the sale made. I overpromise and I underdeliver but I get results. Or maybe what I say um, just can't be trusted. Whether I'm at work or with my family or my friends, I'll say this, I'll be there on Saturday to help. But I can't it, sort of, I just don't show up, even though I said I would. Or I promise to do a task. Yeah, I'll do that. But then I really never or I rarely ever follow through. Now if I'm known for not really telling the truth, or what I say is really not dependable, friends, ask yourself this question. Then why would anybody believe what I say about Jesus? You live in this world, you're functioning with them, and all that you do with your family, your friends, your coworkers, and you're known for, you know what, you can't really believe what Mark has to say. But let me tell you about what Jesus did in my life. Oh, he's just spinning things again. Why would anybody believe you? See, Jesus... Is truth. Jesus described himself this way I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is truth. But understand this, church His truth is not believed if we are not believable. His truth is not believed if we're not believable. That's why in Psalm 15, David praises people who keep their promises even when it hurts. He says, You're believable. Even when it's, it's going to cost you, you keep your word because it's believable. So people can believe what you say about you're going to show up on Saturday to help them move. Then they can believe what you say about Jesus. What we say and do validates who we are. If I'm trustworthy in, in my speech, in my conversation on a daily basis, then what I say can be trusted. So when I begin to tell somebody about Jesus, then they can trust me. But if I'm not trustworthy, then no one will believe and be able to trust what I say, even when I talk about the unchanging truth about who Jesus is. It's that big of a deal when what you're saying is about Jesus. And what makes what you're saying about Jesus believable is that the rest of your life says you're a believable person. That's why James says, this is a big deal. And why Jesus confronted the Pharisees saying, it is a big deal. And why Ananias' fire fell dead, because it is a big deal. It affects the function of the church, and it affects our ability to reach people who don't yet know Jesus. Well, let's end today by looking at one more scripture that speaks to this. Flipping your Bible to the book of Romans, chapter 10. Romans, chapter 10, starting in verse 9. This is a mission service. I was a missionary to Cambodia. Everybody missionary preaches these verses, but I'm going to use it a little different way. Verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's how we come to Christ. For with the heart a person believes resulting in righteousness and with the mouth he confesses resulting in salvation. If you've never confessed Christ as your Savior and Lord, you could do that today. Verse 11, for the scripture says whoever believes in him, in Jesus, will never be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on Him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 14, How then will they call upon Him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. What this section is talking about, what's being written about in Romans here, is basically this. For people to come to know Jesus, they have to hear about him. For people to come to know Jesus, they have to hear the message about him. And the primary way they hear the message about him is by people telling other people. That's basically it. It doesn't really come the primary way through somebody watching something on TV or something doing something on the internet. Now, we, um, praise God, we, we beam that stuff into countries where it's hard to go to. But the primary way for all of 2,000 plus years of church history that the gospel has been spread is me telling my neighbor and you telling your brother and somebody else telling their sister and moms and dads telling their kids. That's what this is talking about. The primary way of the gospel is transmitted from person to person and generation to generation is one person simply telling another person, I met Jesus, he's really real, he really changed my life, and he can change your life too. My life changed, and God can change your life too. So think of this. How important is it that the people who we are talking to and we're telling about Jesus believe what we say? Because we live a life that says what I say is trustworthy. James says it's a big deal. It's that big of a deal. Above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under judgment. It's a big deal. Now maybe... We're here today. And the Holy Spirit is speaking to our hearts. You know, the Holy Spirit is speaking to, my heart about, it's been speaking to my heart about this for a long time, in one particular way. And I've tried to change it. Man, it's hard to change, but the Holy Spirit helps you. When I'm with kids, I always tell them stories. I always tell them goofy stories. And I think it's all right. I'm Uncle Mark. I tell them stories. Um, but one day when my nephew was young, I was telling him some crazy thing, you know, whatever. It was just some total made-up thing. There were Martians or something, whatever. And he looked at his dad, my brother, Dean, and he said, Dad, is that true? And my brother said this, ask yourself who's saying it. And he knew that I always joked with them. I was always telling them some concocted story. And I still tend to do that with kids, and I find myself all the time like, because I think it's fun and it's funny. You know, hey, guess what? You know, the moon's made out of cheese. You know? And when he said it, ask who's, think about who's telling you. And what he's saying is every time he's with you, he tells you some crazy story. And I'm thinking, how will he believe me when I tell him about Jesus? Friends, that's what this is all about. I'm not saying you can't joke and have fun. You can't do surprises. You can't tell funny stories. I'm not saying that. I don't think James is saying that. But he's saying, are we people primarily who what we say is believable? it's a rare exception when we tell a, tell a thing. Suzanne did something last night on the phone, which is so funny. I can't tell you the whole story, but we concocted it in advance that when, when one of our kids called us, she's going to tell him this story because they had asked us about something in advance. And she's telling him this story, and he's believing her. I'm standing right next to her on the phone. Suzanne can't tell a lie about anything. She, believe me, she's not even here. She can't tell a lie about anything. She tries to say a lie and literally you can see it on her face a second. She tries, like, well, just tell him that. You know, it's for fun with the kids. And it was one of our kids. And she's on the phone and she's going on and on and on. And I could hear the kid on the phone going, Oh my goodness. Finally, I'm going, Suzanne, stop. (laughs) You know, I couldn't take it anymore. I'm like, he actually believes you. You know, this is just last night. And we're laughing and she's all, I'm just joking. It was so rare with her. That everybody knows, Suzanne, Suzanne can't even say, oh, surprise party, tell them you're going over here. She, looked, she can't, she looks like you, she can't do it, it's not in her DNA. But she was able, you know, she did that for a little while, but here's the deal. It was so rare that everybody knew it wasn't real. You just you just knew. Not, I'm not saying you can't have fun. You can't play a joke on somebody. That was fine, it was funny, we all laughed one son was part of it, it was just we we're roaring laughing, like, I can't believe you got me, mom. But you know what? When we live our lives in such a way that that people go, well, that can't be possible because that person just tells the truth. Then when we tell somebody else about Jesus, they go, They're telling the truth. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. And so maybe the Holy Spirit is doing something in your life like he did to me years ago, and I, I still have it. I still tell t- crazy stories at times when I go, oh, i God, got to stop that. The moon's not made out of cheese. You know, The kid doesn't know any better. The Holy Spirit will help us. I don't do it as much as I did five years ago, or probably, probably ten years ago, because, oh, my goodness, it was like getting punched in the gut when I heard that. And so the Holy Spirit can help you. So here's the deal. Life in Christ is about a process, it's about growth. God doesn't sit and condemn and go, Mark, you know, you just stink. That's rotten that you did that to that little kid. You told them that story and now they're not going to, no. We offer our lives to Jesus and he goes, let me help you get better. Let me help you become more like Jesus. We say, God, I surrender to you and God, I want to I become like you. But in order to have that happen, we've got to have times where the Holy Spirit puts his finger on things and says, you know what, that's not good. So God did that with me, with my, with my nephew. That's not good. So I've been in a process of growth in that area for 10 years. So maybe in your heart, the Holy Spirit's going to speak something, and you say, he's going to say, that's not good. You give your word, and you don't keep it. You tell people you show up on Saturday, and you don't. And people go, this. And you know people like this, and maybe you're one of them. They go, oh, yeah, well, you know, whoever. I've got to figure a name that none of you have. George? There's no Georges in here, right? Um, that George... Said they'll be there, but you know George never follows through. You all know people like that. Maybe you're that person. It's a big deal that you, that you change that. How do you change it? You allow the Holy Spirit. You ask the Holy Spirit to help you grow and change. And here's the deal. When, he said, when you say, God, help me to change, he's just like, yes. I believe it. He's going, look at Michael. He's getting it. I really believe he's going, look at Larson is saying, I want to be more like Jesus. He's your cheerleader. He's going, yes. So it's not a condemning thing. It's to say, let's get more like Jesus thing. So maybe you're here and the Spirit's putting his finger on something here. You're the undependable person. Or because of your, the way you talk, you really destroy unity in your own family. You destroy unity in the church. You talk about other people negatively. You do these things. You destroy unity in the church. The Spirit's going to put his finger on it. Say yes to the Spirit and say, help me. Hey, help me! I want to be more like Jesus. That makes sense. But also, maybe you're here today, and you don't know Jesus at all. You've been to church, maybe it's your first time in church. I don't know, but you really don't know Jesus. Here's the deal, and as, as I like can say, as my life is the witness, you know, we're supposed to say if our lives are truthful. He really changed my life. He really changed my life, and he changed a lot of lives in here. Jesus loves you and he's real and he's here for you and he's not mad at you and he's not looking at things you did and say, you know what, that's unforgivable. He's saying, no, I can forgive anything. I can break any chain. I can heal any hurt. I can make anybody brand new. All you got to do is say yes to, me, to Jesus and say, come into my life. But then what you're doing, it's not just, it's saying this, I want you to be now the Lord and Savior of my life. I want to now walk with you because what's a process of him making you more like him. So it happens in just an instant. We ask him in and he forgives our sin and he makes us brand new. But then we walk out with him. I've been thinking lately, I'm going to preach a sermon in the future, probably along these lines, being a, a um, crisis Christian or a constant Christian. Because, I, 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 my, man, my heart breaks for watching crisis Christians. People who just, they only come to Jesus in crisis. Because I see after the crisis gets over, they go right back into, the Bible talks about a, a, a pig returns to its slop. You turn to your, return to the mud, and your life is a mess again. You come back to Jesus. He loves and welcomes you, but you've got to carry the baggage of all the of all garbage. A constant Christian just walks in the, in, the, in the protection of the Lord, under the umbrella of his protection, according to his word, which is guardrails that protect you from going off in the wrong path. And it's a beautiful, good and beautiful life, full of joy. And yet yeah, there's still trials, but it's full of the goodness of God. God wants us to live alive where we walk with him. And he's inviting you to that today. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, this text that we looked at today is one that, that speaks to our everyday life. It really does. It speaks to our, to our everyday life that says um, even how I speak matters. And, and James says above all it matters because we're actually really known by our speech and by our actions. When our, when our speech and our actions don't line up, um, it's a big deal. It can hurt the church and it can hurt our witness. And we don't want that. We want our church to be a place of thriving love and unity and we want um, to be effective at helping other people come to know you. And Lord, this is what I know. If you're speaking to us this morning, any one of us starting with me about this, and you are, Lord, then I surrender myself and we surrender ourselves fresh and anew and say, God, help us to become more like Jesus. Help us to put the energy into it. Maybe for some, you're literally saying to them, you know what, you need to walk on our, on, the, on the faith path. You need to get in a class on Wednesday night that's going to help you grow because you're stuck. So Lord, speak to our hearts about that. so that, we, that we, the Lord, we, you've let us do those things just so we can get better. So Lord, help us to get better. But maybe you're here today. We're in a moment of prayer. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. And you say this, I really am not walking with Jesus and i need him in my life and i know i need him in my life and i want to invite him in and i want i need to be forgiven i need to be made brand new and i want to live a life of a different trajectory I want to live on a life going up towards heaven, not just living in the, in the, in the gutter of the world. Even the, even the things of the world that the world says are good that, that just are empty and they lead into, into, into a loss. And today I'm ready to say, I want to ask Christ into my life. I want to make him my, my savior. I need him to save me, forgive me. And I want him to be my Lord, the one I follow. I want to be a follower of Jesus. I'm not exactly sure what that's going to look like, but I want to take the first step. If you have a sense inside of you that says yes to that today, I would tell you this. That is the Spirit of God pulling you, calling your name. And if you're ready to say yes to that, I'm going to ask you to do something between me and you and God because no one else is looking around. We're praying. I'm going to start over on my left in the sanctuary. You're right, the section on my left, and I'm going to say, if you're saying I'm ready to say yes to Jesus, I want you to look me right square in the eyes. I'm not going to call you out or embarrass you, okay? Anybody else? We're going to pray in a minute. I promise you I won't embarrass you. In the center section, you say, I'm ready to say yes to Jesus. This is the work of the Spirit. I'm not trying to coerce you in any way. I don't want to coerce you. If you think it's me, don't do it. And now on my right, your left, this section. You say, I'm going to say yes to Jesus. Okay? Anybody else? Okay? People all over the sanctuary. Let's stand together this morning. This is what we're going to do. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And for those of you who have said yes today, um, we're just going to pray. I'm going to invite the whole church to pray so you're not singled out, it's not the purpose. We're not here to count you. We're here to help you take the steps in the right direction. So as a church, a lot of us have already asked Christ in our life. So we're all going to just pray a prayer that a lot of us have prayed something like this in the past. And invite you to, to ask to just pray along with us. And mean it from your heart. What we're going to do is just invite Jesus in. So let's pray together. Dear Jesus, I need you. And today, I ask you into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Wipe away my past. All the junk. All the pain. All the hurt. And on this day, come into my life and make me brand new. Fill me with your presence. May your spirit come into my life. And from this day forward, I want to follow you. I want to walk with you because I need you. And so on this Sunday morning, I declare to you that I am yours, that I'm going to follow you, and I'm looking for your help. Thank you, Jesus.